to work on something for Sunday night. I think it's going to be short to the point. It 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 expands. <clears throat> this is one of those things. As I looked at the the ten lepers in in Luke chapter seventeen. I saw two big truths that I want to talk about, and I thought I could do them both in one night, but I'm going to uh, focus on one half tonight and then the other half the next night. But a, we're going to look, we're going to learn from one, and I call him a leaping leper because he, he gets healed, and who wouldn't leap for joy, and who wouldn't get excited if your life had been so salvaged and so changed. So we're going to learn about the lessons of one of these ten, and and hopefully it'll apply to Questions in your heart, uh, um, about your heart. Okay? And, um, uh, because it is, it is my experience that a lot of Christians miss the blessings of the Christian life, not because they're not saved or that they're not saved as much as somebody else. There's just something about being whole as a Christian that this one guy is going to teach us. So let's pray. Father, bless the, again, I pray I give you, please help me. Be a help and a blessing to your people tonight. Bless the preaching of your word and the hearing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, we've looked at the security of the believer all this month, all right? And and uh, there are many misconceptions still, all right? One is this idea that you have to be faithful. You have to persevere if you're going to be saved. And that is a lie, all right? You didn't have to be good to get saved, and you don't have to be good to stay saved. Um, uh, you're saved by the grace of God and you're kept by the same grace. Now, that doesn't mean that you can get away with sin. You're just not going to go to hell for it now. You know how many sins it would take for a person to go to hell? I'm talking about just anybody. One. So, if if that's true, that one sin would make you a sinner. One murder would make you a murderer. One thievery would make you a, th- a thief, so on and so forth, all right? So it only take one for you to be on your way to hell, all right? How many sins does it take for you now that you're saved to make you go to hell? None. Because if one could send you to hell, one could make you go to hell again after you're saved. So don't get this idea that you got to persevere. You should endure, and you should work your tail off dealing with sin in your heart, dealing with sin in your life for the Lord, but not to earn heaven because there is no earning of heaven. So there are still conceptions about the security believer. People think only faithful persevering Christians are saved. They believe what I call salvation or probation. You really, it's like people get hired today. Have you not seen how many people, they get a job, and as soon as they get the job, they'll say, now you're on probation now. And for six months, they can fire you like that. And you're not saved that way. God doesn't go, now Ledbetter, I'm watching you. Now if you blow it, you're out of here. I got, you know, you're only saved just by coming along, and if you keep up, I'll, I'll keep you. If you blow it, I'll throw you away. The Bible says he will never cast us out. So, they, some people believe in salvation, probation, but that brings up an interesting point. And it brings up an interesting point uh, and a very important question. It says, what about those who aren't quite living like they should? What about those Christians who are, who are, you know, not quite Christ-like? Well, you see, there are carnal Christians, folks. Unfortunately, there are backslidden Christians. And just because they don't live the Christian life very well. And I know plenty of them. Doesn't mean they ain't going to be with Jesus. Okay? You gotta believe that because if you think you're good enough to get to heaven, I got news for you. You're not. Because the mark of a Christian is you realize, I don't deserve it. I can never live it. So, uh, looking at these misconceptions, 
I want to show you an example where Jesus uses to prove that not everyone's going to persevere. Not everyone's going to do all the, the dotting of the I's and the crosses of the T's, and yet they're just as saved as everyone else. But in the middle of it, now this is where I'm going to focus tonight, because I'll talk to you about where the nine are, and that's where this thought is going to be. Okay? There are ten that get healed, aren't there? If you remember the story. But nine of them go on their own happy way and never come back, but one of them does. They're all healed. Okay? Only one of them gets made whole. And that's where I want to take it tonight, because that is a key to the fullness of the Christian life that is lacking in many of God's people. And I've decided I'm going to focus on this tonight, and I'll go look at where... I'm going to find the nine next week, okay? All right, so let's uh, look at chapter 17, verse 11. Luke 17, verse 11. It came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee... And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were what? We'd say healed. We'd say, wow, they were made well. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed... He turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a, wow, he was a Samaritan. Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger, this foreigner, this Samaritan. And he said unto him, arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee not just not just cleansed, but he uses a unique word. What does he call him? He says, now you're whole, all right? So, just by way of background, Jesus is traveling in Jerusalem. He's up in the northern section there by Galilee. If you've ever seen a map of Israel, the north half, the north part has the Sea of Galilee, and up there is where Jesus was born, and in, in, sorry, Nazareth, where he grew up. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth, and that was where most of his ministry was. And often he would travel south to go to Jerusalem, and then he would come back. And he went through Samaria. Now, no normal Jewish self-respecting Jew would ever go through Samaria, but Jesus, who liked to go out of the box, who liked to go looking for sinners, he went through Samaria. And ten lepers try to approach him. They try to get as close as humanly possible. Now, these men had leprosy, and if you, if you have ever studied parts of the Bible, there are, there are things that it describes that you need to understand. And leprosy was one of the most debilitating. I won't even put some pictures up there, um, but uh, leprosy was a, um, uh, was a disease that robbed you of your life. You just lived every day. Once you had leprosy, you were just waiting to die. These men had no access to their families. It was a very contagious disease. They had to wrap their body up because their, their, their skin would ooze and, and, and would, would be, um, uh, mm. um, I don't want to describe it too grossly, but if they coughed, goop would come up and they had to cover their face so that they would never be a risk to somebody else getting this disease. Over time, fingers would fall off, toes would fall off. Over time, the nose, the cartilage behind the nose would fall, and so it would become sunken. Their ears would become just slowly eaten away by leprosy. These 
Men had, so their wives and their children were never going to be hugged again. They were never going to be able to kiss and embrace each other. They were forbidden to have access to anyone whatsoever. They could not work. They had to live away from everyone else. Often they would live in a commune with other lepers. And it was so, you talk about discouragement. I mean, every day you woke up and you saw somebody else who was dying just like you. It never got better. They were condemned to die a horrible death alone because of this disease. And then they heard Jesus was passing by. So out of their little, often they would dig holes, large um, areas where they would live down lower uh, in, in their little huts. And they would crawl out of that hole and they heard that Jesus was coming. So they got as close as they could and they try and approach Jesus. And they cried out for help. They cried out for mercy. They cried out for Jesus to do something. Now, these men were not theologians. They didn't know what they could ask. They didn't even know, Lord, could could you heal us of this leprosy? They didn't know how to ask. They didn't know what to ask. All they knew was they needed a miracle. And they called it mercy. They knew they didn't deserve it. You know what's great? Jesus instantly responded to their prayer. And he did it kind of unusually. He did no shazam. He didn't do some dazzle. He gave them no magic words. He didn't wave his hand. He just gave them what they asked for. Do you know what salvation is? Jesus giving you what you asked for. Often we go to Jesus, we ask for a new car. We ask for, you know, a new, we ask for a new body. It doesn't happen. We ask for a new house. We ask for things and the Lord doesn't give it to us. But I guarantee you, you ask for the mercy of God. You ask for God to have mercy on your lost soul. He will give it to you. It is without question. He will not deny that request. So Jesus instantly responded to their prayer, and uh, um, he then tells them to go and find a Jewish priest and show them their healing. Now, this is crazy, because that took faith. They didn't feel healed. They didn't look healed. Nothing had happened at this point. I want you to look back in your Bible. It says, verse... Uh, 14, and when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass as they went that they were cleansed. So uh, Jesus didn't first heal them and then tell them to go. He told them to go and then they were healed. They didn't feel any different. They didn't look any different. Yet they believed Jesus enough to obey him and start walking to the village to go find a priest. And believe me, I believe they were walking at first, but they didn't stay walking. By the way, it was necessary for them to go to the priest. Why would Jesus say, go show the priests that you're healed? All right, these men could feel better one morning and could say, hey, I'm better, I'm going to go see my wife. And no, 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 no. God in Leviticus had said, if anybody ever had leprosy, there will come a day where there will be a miracle. God already predicted it in the book of Leviticus, where a, a leper will be cleansed, will be healed, but he must go and show them to the priest so that the priest could verify was he really healed. Then he could go home. So here are these priests and Jesus said, go show the priests how healed you are. They didn't feel healed. They didn't look healed. They, they still looked the same. But as they went, they were all healed. Um, now, as they went, as I said, they were all healed. Can you imagine what it was like to experience that? I mean, it is night turned to day. It is lost being found. These These men uh, uh, as they walked into the village, and believe me, these men probably had not been to their village in years. 
And here they were, finally, their heart beating faster than a bullet, realizing, could it be? And as they looked down and they saw their skin back normal, can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the thrill that Jesus had actually come through? Uh, Their scars were gone. Uh, They felt clean. There was no more sickness, no more weakness, no more disease, and their walking turned into running and laughing and leaping and shouting. They could go home. They could go home. Could you imagine that? They had been given a second chance of life. Isn't that what happened when you got saved? Didn't you feel clean on the inside? Didn't it just dawn on you? I got a second chance. Wow. Remember, this was a Samaritan too. He wasn't supposed to get in on this blessing. And there he is. All of these Samaritans having such joy. Now I kind of believe that they were, they, they struggled with, do I go home to mama or do I go to the priest? Oh, I want to go to mama. And so I'm sure they went to the priest, but they were thinking about going home to mom. But one stopped and ran back. And when, and, and he wasn't just excited about the miracle, he was excited about the miracle giver. And this is life changing. This will change your life if you'll get what happened to you when you got saved. It was not all about you. It was about who gave it to you. And most of us, we rush off and we get back into our life and, and we, we forget what God did for us. This man out of ten, one came back and he said, Wow, you're awesome. The other men were going, it's awesome being healed. But this one man said, you're awesome being the healer. He had to go back. He had to worship Jesus. He had to thank him. He had to glorify God. And believe me, this, he, he, before he could go home, he had to go to the priest, remember? But here, he was able to go right up to Jesus and fall at his feet and hold onto his feet and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a gift he had been given by a giver. And he went back to that giver. Now, Jesus asked two questions, very powerful questions. He says, well, weren't there ten? I mean, I love how Jesus got humor. He's not like our comedians. He doesn't tell jokes like Eric, okay? (laughs) Thankfully. But he does have humor. He says, weren't there ten men who were healed? That's humor, okay? You get it? He wasn't going... I seem to remember, he he wasn't having Alzheimer's, okay? He was actually going, weren't there ten men who were healed? (laughs) What'd I do? (laughs) It was not intentional. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, I could get in trouble. Anyway, he says, well, then where are the other nine? And that's a good question. Now, I'm not going to answer it tonight. I was going to answer it, but we'll just talk about it next week. If Jesus asked it today, now this is scary, and I'll just wait your appetite for next week. He would ask, where are all those who've been saved? Oh yeah, where are all those who've been forgiven, who've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and redeemed from their sin? Where are all those that have been given a second chance to live by the grace of God? Where are all those who have or who once had the joy of the Lord? Where are they? Do you know, I think about it, if everybody who got saved through the soul went into this church and through the preaching of this church, we'd have 1,500 people here. If I thought about it, I don't think about it too often. <laughs> Where are they? I was asked that one time. It's very grieving. I thought, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
I'm just glad you're here tonight, amen? But tonight I want to look at two other questions. Well, I'm going to look at one of the two questions. So the two questions that need to be answered from this parable, from this parable, from this event were, what made this lone leaping leper whole? The others were healed, but he said, you're whole. Secondly, where are the nine others? So that's for next week. So we're going to answer the first question tonight. First of all, the wholeness that is beyond salvation. Okay. Now this is a dangerous topic. Don't, don't misunderstand, but, uh, uh, this is a dangerous topic. Um, and I'll tell you why in just a second. I've got something to say before that. First of all, there are three great truths about salvation you got to understand. Number one, Christ's blood saves every believer the same amount. What do I mean by that? All ten of those men were perfectly healed. Are you with me? Every one of them. Some of them may have had no fingers before and they got all ten back. Some of them may have had no nose and then they got it back. Some of them may have lost their ears and they got those back. Some of them had probably had deep, disease-ridden scars in their body. Now all of those scars were replaced by perfect skin. Are you with me? Every one of them were healed. There was not one that was, well, you know, you still, you, you got six of your digits back. <laughs> no, no, no. There was no degree of salvation, no degree of healing. They all were healed. Are you with me? And if that's true, then Christ's blood is the principal truth here. Just as all ten of those men were perfectly healed, so all believers are perfectly forgiven by Christ. Let that sink in. There's nothing lacking in your salvation. If you're saved, you're just as saved as Paul the Apostle was. Amen? The blood of Jesus Christ, not the waters of baptism, not the sprinkling of uh, Jewish ceremonies, not the not the, the works of your flesh, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Take your Bible, turn to 1 John 1. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. First John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth. It's a present tense. He's saying it cleanses and keeps cleansing us from how much sin? Go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, just a few pages to the right. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Revelation 1 and 5. <clears throat> And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He didn't just wash us from the concept of sin. He washed us from the quantity of our sins. He washed us from all our sins. Go to First Peter chapter 1. Go back to the left. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. 1st John, 1st Peter 118, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed, that's paid for, with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain lifestyle, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, no, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hey, you were paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that blood is, is capable of forgiving your sin, just like Jesus' word was capable of forgiving their, of, of healing their leprosy. And that's the principle that I got to get you first going. 
an, an understanding. All of these men are a picture of getting salvation. And, and, uh, they, they, the, the, the truth is that when you get saved, you get all the salvation there is, which is infinite. You cannot exhaust the forgiveness of God. Secondly, few already are the number of believers to begin with. I'll go with this and follow me. I'll tell you where this is going. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Now, you look around the world. You look in, uh, you look, you, you go to the shopping centers and you see the crowds down there in Mahan Point. What do you see? A lot of people walking with God. A lot of people, Christians, born again by believers. No. Look at Matthew chapter 7 verse 13. When you look at the, at the world, look at what he says. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Now, straight doesn't mean straight as an arrow, but straight means it's a hard gate. It's, it's kind of tough to get in, squeeze yourself in there because you're having to go down low. You're having to humble yourself to get into that gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. So if you look at the two gates, there's a little bitty gate. You have to go in down almost on your knees. You have to get down real on all fours and crawl through. That's humility. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. The other one, you go in just full of yourself. You go in with no problem at all, and that leads to destruction. And the principle is, there are few that go in that gate. You understand? So if there already are few that that are saved, because look at the next verse. I better finish verse 14. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So the second great truth about salvation is not many people get saved. Now, that's not for lack of trying, all right? Because how many times have you given somebody a gospel track and they've thrown them on the ground? So it's not like they're not, they're not hearing or that, that, that they've never known. Man, I tell you what, there are a lot of people who just don't want to get saved. And they, they just walking down that wide path. But there's a third great truth, and that is the hard part to understand is just like there are a few people who get saved, there are a few people that live it. There are fewer people who live it. So just because somebody's not living it, just because somebody's not thankful and coming back and worshiping God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength like they should, doesn't mean they're not saved. So let's look at this truth about the wholeness beyond salvation. Now, as I said, there is this is a dangerous topic because there are false teachers that imply that there are higher levels of salvation. You come to my seminar and I'll teach you another level in the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus said? You humble yourself, you become a servant of all if you want to go up in the kingdom. So there are tons of YouTubers, there are tons of of, of uh, hustlers and religious hustlers who try to have a secret path into the kingdom. Don't follow them. Don't follow them at all. And I don't want to give you the idea that there are two levels of salvation. Not at all. You can be just as saved as the Apostle Paul and be miserable. That's my point. I try to fix your, I'm looking at you, I'm trying to fix your miserability. And I did that on purpose. Anyway, don't think that there are higher levels of salvation. Boy, I wish I could be saved like Leo is. I wish I could be saved like Martin. No, you want to live like Jesus. You're just as saved as Paul, folks. Now, a new believer often never experiences what the new birth was designed to give you. The new birth was designed to give you joy, rest, purpose, spiritual fruit, a walk with God. That's what it was there for. 
but often it doesn't. Um, no one instantly, no one is instantly mature the moment they get saved. Have you noticed that? What does what does Peter call them? Babes, as newborn babies. Sometimes we wonder why aren't they reading the King James Bible? Because they don't know any better. Are you with me? Oh, why aren't they on Sunday night? You know, I didn't go to Sunday night church for a couple of weeks because I couldn't conceive. You'll go again? Is it the same message? So just because somebody's not here now, I'm talking about these are new believers. People have been saved for a while and they're not here on Sunday night. Shame on them. Amen, 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 amen. But here, not everybody who just, nobody who just gets saved is instantly mature and they know all the things to do. No one is instantly victorious over their sinful habits the moment they get saved. And no one is automatically and fully like Christ the moment they got saved. It comes as part of growth. Desire the cereal milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, if this were not true, there would be no carnal backslidden Christians. Boy, I'd like that. Oh, it'd be nice to look around and not see people in Christianity that you'd be embarrassed of. But there are backslidden carnal Christians. If this were not true, then there would be no discouraged or defeated Christians anywhere. But there are. So I'm talking about a wholeness by beyond salvation. You see, sometimes people were healed, and that was all, but they never, they, they, they never were made whole. And there's a simple reason. Okay? They were never made complete. And that simple reason, I'm going to tell it to you here. I got to do it in sequence. <laughs> Just look at that Samaritan. Go back to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. This is the biblical secret. I don't like using that word secret, but sometimes it piques your ears. You go, this is the key to wholeness, to a, to a full life. Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have life. And that more, what's the word? All right. Abundant means a lot of it. More than you could ever enjoy. I'll never, uh, I would, my first trip to Arkansas. Here's one for Noah. Noah, when I was your age, my dad took us fishing up in Arkansas. There are a lot of lakes up there, as you well know, and we got out of a boat, and we fished. We actually had some friends in a place called Texarkana, anyway. But we drove out into this beautiful lake. We got on this boat. We went fishing. I don't remember catching anything. I don't even remember going on the boat. My dad told me we were on the boat. We were fishing, and I don't know what we caught. I do remember when we finished, my dad said, you want an ice cream? I said, sure. He says, there's a great place down here. in this." We went to this little spit on the map. I remember getting out of the car and there was this, looks like a shack, but it was an ice cream shack. And he went up there and he says, how many scoops do you want? I mean, my dad asked me, how many scoops do I want? And I instantly just said, five. <laughs> I didn't know what I meant. I didn't know if I could get it. And he turned around and he says, he wants five scoops. Those five scoops cost five cent a piece. You remember those days? A gallon of gas cost 30 cents. We won't go down that far. Anyway, I remember those days. And he handed me this ice cream with five big scoops on top. I thought I was in heaven. It was more than I could eat. It was more than, I tell you what, but just having it. Listen, that's the Christian life. It's more than you thought you could ever ask for. And the Lord just says, how many do you want? And you say, can I have five? And he says, ask for more. The biblical secret to the abundant Christian life. Are you ready? Look at the Samaritan again. Chapter 17, 
Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he's been, his body has been changed. God wanted to change his heart. Watch him. He turned back, and with a loud voice, he glorified God. He fell on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So looking at the Samaritan, and it, the, the key to the, to the fullness of the Christian life, you ready? It's not praying harder as much as important prayer is. It's not being in church more as, as important as being in church every service. It's not reading more of the Bible, even though reading your Bible every day is vital. The key to the wholeness and the, the joy and the fullness of the Christian life is being thankful. Yeah. You can't pay for that. I can't charge you to teach that. <laughs> it's right there. Right there, just remembering to be thankful. That one guy, that split second when he stopped, he says, I gotta go back and be thankful. It made him whole. It made his heart so much fuller than those other ten. Those other nine. Those other nine, they're gonna have, woo, a great day. They're going home. They're gonna see the kids. They're gonna be back home. They got second chance on life, but they have not been changed. They've only been healed. And there are a lot of Christians who get the fire insurance. They're no longer going to hell. They've got a new lease on life, but their heart is still hard. Their life is still in bondage to all the past. They still miserably get up every day and miserably go to bed every night, not realizing the gift of God they've been given. Are you with me? Just remembering to be thankful is the secret to wholeness. Now, that's probably the second greatest gift. And it's the second greatest healing power there is to being forgiven. The greatest healing power is just being forgiven. When you realize that the wrath of God has moved off of you and you are forgiven, wow. That has a healing power. When people can just forgive one another, it heals, doesn't it? But when you're thankful, it makes you whole. Are you with me? All right. You're not now. I'm going to make two statements here. Are you ready? <clears throat> you're not born again only if you're thankful. <clears throat> They're not very thankful. That doesn't make them saved. What makes them saved? Christ does. Faith, as, as little and as frustrated and as struggling as it may be, a cry to God for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That heart cry tapped into the marvelous, infinite grace of God. Thankfulness doesn't make you a Christian. Are you with me? But let me say the second half. You're never going to be whole until you are thankful. That's what we need. That's the goal. What does real thankfulness look like? Well, it looks like worship. If you look at that verse, look at him being thankful. He didn't come up to him and go, I need somebody here. Dean, stand up for a second. You'll be Jesus for a second. <laughs> the guy didn't come back and go, thank you very much. That was very kind of you. Thanks. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to tell the wife. <laughs> That's not what he did, did he? That's what we do in the Western world. You see, over the Middle East, and thank you, you can sit down. Uh, the, uh, uh, in the Middle East and in Asia, I mean, the, the, when you have joy, when you are thankful, it is, they, this man came back and he fell down 
at his uh, on his face at his feet. What's he doing? He's worshiping. You know, I can tell you're thankful when you worship. If you're just here, if you're just reading your Bible to to do it, just to say you did, if you're just going through the motions, you're never going to enjoy the reality of a whole life, a wholeness of Christian life, because real thankfulness has this constant attitude of, wow, what did you do for me? It's just stopping and saying, he saved me. How long you saved? How long has it been since you were saved? Were you say 21 years ago? 26 years ago. Has it worn off? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You know, if, if... <laughs> you didn't have to say that part, but, but you know, constant worship, this constant realization that this perfect gift, the gift of God is eternal life. I got the gift. Just waking up and going, thank you. Woo! You know, that enters into a wholeness of life that most Christians never enter into. If I said, what are you thankful for? Are you saved? Yeah. Duh. I think a lot of Christians, when they get to heaven, you're going you're gonna to just be so grateful that all you ever did your Christian life was you gave God a passing grunt. Mm. Mm. I see in this man a loud, passionate, emotional praise. Look in chapter, again, chapter 17, verse 5, 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back with a loud voice. What did he do? He glorified God. Now, I want you to see that loud voice beforehand. Verse 13, when they, verse 12, it says, they stood afar off, so they had to be heard. Verse 13, they lifted up their voice and he said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So, you know, when you're in trouble, you know what you'll do? You'll scream at the top of your lungs, help! Right? But when you get helped, do you go, hey, thanks. Doesn't that kind of miss the mark? This man, as emphatic as he was to get saved, he had, was emphatic to be thankful. He put some oomph into his joy. <clears throat> um, he realized how wor- unworthy he was. He's a Samaritan. He shouldn't be touching Jesus. He shouldn't need me talking to him. And it says he was a Samaritan. He didn't deserve this, and neither do we. Do you know, you know, we're Gentiles. When the Bible calls us dumb dogs. You say, well, that's a real racist statement. Yep. I don't fit in the kingdom of God. I don't belong in the kingdom of God. I'm an alien, a foreigner. I didn't grow up with, with the Bible. The Jews had the Bible. They had the prophets. They had the Messiah. And yet here I am. I'm in the kingdom of God. <laughs> I am unworthy. Because Jesus died for all. He didn't have to, but he did. God so loved us. And you know, when you realize, real thankfulness is you realize, you don't go along and says, you know, that was pretty good. I deserved everything that you gave me. That's not what any Christian will say. Real thankfulness says, I didn't deserve a single thing you gave me. How much do we talk about how unfair things are? That's our problem. Real thankfulness is a focus on Christ and his priceless gift of mercy and grace. Just the fact that he's kind to you. Just the fact that it's him. 
You know, I don't have to go to a priest. I don't have to go to a church. I don't have to go to a theologian. I don't have to, to go into YouTube to find out what to do. I just got to talk to Jesus. And he understands what I need, even when I don't know how to ask. Mm. So focus on Christ. Real thankfulness is, I'm, I, God, bless me through Jesus. And lastly, no concern of whether you're the only one or not. I think this guy has no idea that he's the only one. Real thankfulness doesn't look around and go, well, it's not very popular to be passionate. You know what? If you're the only one, now I'm sometimes accused of being too loud singing, but I'm sorry, I have to be guilty. Because something happened to me 36 years ago and I never got over it. I have freaked out old women. I have caused, uh, Paul, you remember when JJ, when I preached one time and he fell out of his chair, I've sort of upset old men. I'm, and, and sometimes I apologize, sometimes I can't. It's just me. I just love the Christian life. I love singing about Jesus. I think you should too. I think if you're ever grateful, it'll come out in your volume. It'll come out in your face. It'll come out whether anybody else is. If you're the only one singing at the top of your lungs, you wouldn't care. Amen? Are you with me? This guy says, Woo! Thank you! Thank you! And he runs up. And all the other ten, the other nine are running off, not even thinking. And he doesn't know that he's the only one. So what? That's what real thankfulness looks like. You don't check Facebook to go, is it popular to be in church on Sunday night? (laughs) So the nine went home healed? Yes. Changed? Probably not. See, salvation saves the soul from his destiny now. I once was lost, I was headed for hell, I was under the wrath of God. I'm now headed for heaven. My destiny's changed, but thankfulness marvelously saves a Christian from the torments of of Satan after salvation. See, I I thought I need to resist the devil. Don't miss my thought here. 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about resisting, steadfast in the faith, da 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 It says, be sober, be vigilant, your adversary to the devil, walk about with the roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's going after Christians. But your greatest weapon against Satan is joy, is thankfulness, is being grateful for every little thing. He has no hook in a heart that's just at rest going, God is good. He has no hook. <clears throat> Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, starting verse 25. By the way, while you're going there, I thought of these illustrations. When people are saved from a life-threatening sickness, I find that few actually thank God for it. Isn't that kind of crazy? I go into the hospital and somebody, even Christians, who are on the brink of a life-changing, life-debilitating, maybe even a terminal disease, and God picks them up and they back home and they forget to thank God. They forget to thank the doctors. They forget to thank the nurses. Very ungrateful. They were, they were raised up, sent back home. Amen. Praise God. It's in us, folks. When people are protected from danger, when they're recovered from the perils of, say, they fell into the sea, 
When a cruise ship is destroyed and a large part of that crew and passengers die, and there's some who are salvaged and brought to shore, very few of them acknowledge the goodness of God for saving them. You never hear them being interviewed going, it's by the grace of God I'm, I'm alive. Very few say, God took care of me. And Jesus would say, well, where are the nine? Where is everybody that was saved? <clears throat> they give no thanks. They offer no praise. They go about their usual lives. They've been delivered. They've been protected. And yet they return to the scenes of pleasure and of sin as if nothing had ever occurred. Mm-mm-mm. If if we don't get this thing of, of just having a, 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 a spirit that says, I want to be thankful for everything. We're going to fall into a trap here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse... We'll start back there in verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation. Every time you use the word conversation, it's talked about how you lived, what you talked about, your former life. It says, put off that former life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's how you think now what you choose to do, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, start off here, verse 25, stop lying. That's the first place you start is by stopping lying. Put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for ye are members one of another. Talking to Christians, you guys are all in the same body. Don't lie to one another. Number 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your mouth. Get rid of the anger. Verse 27 tells you why. Neither give place to the who. One time we, uh, uh, it was so hot, um, we were leaving all the windows open in, upstairs, and there was one night in the middle of the night, I heard something rummaging. I thought it was a burglar. I grabbed the bat underneath my bed, and then I heard this, meow, meow, two cats fighting in my office. I left the window open. One cat got in, another cat got in, and they had a marriage argument. I don't know what it was. (laughs) I let them in. And a lot of people let the devil in, first by lying, lying to one another. I mean, there's one thing, God can't help a liar. End of story. Don't you ever think it's right to lie. Ever. But then, anger is an access way that gives the devil right access right into your heart. And he says, don't make, uh, um, what is he, what is the word there? Give not place to the devil. Don't make it easy for him to get into your life. Verse 28, let him that stole, steal no more. So stop stealing. But let it, rather let him labor. Get to work. Find a job, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have something to give to him that needeth. And verse 29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Stop the critical, stop the hurtful, stop the destructive words. But instead, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What am I talking about? Ephesians chapter 4 says, lying is an access into your heart and life. Anger opens a doorway for Satan into your heart. Bad, evil, destructive, critical words are an open door to the devil to come in and take over. None of that can exist around thankfulness. You can't choose someone out when you're thankful for them. 
Amen. The transforming power of God offers to us, after salvation, the response of thankfulness. These men were healed, and it's a picture of being saved. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol of getting saved. He saved them all. They were all made healthy. They were all able to go home. There was nothing lacking in any of them, but only one of them was changed in his heart. And it was all by that attitude, that one mark of thankfulness. Now, otherwise, if we don't get thankfulness at work in our hearts, constantly being expressed, we become arrogant and self-centered. We begin to believe that I have accomplished these things on my own. You know, when you're thankful for people who've invested in you, when you're thankful for people who've, who've loved you when you were unlovable, it humbles you and you realize, I am what I am by the grace of God. Without gratefulness, you'll think you did it yourself. That's arrogance. Without a thankful way of thinking, we become discontent. Thankfulness makes us content. When you are just thankful for what you got. By the way, when you sit down to eat, whether it's a big pile of fried chicken or it's beans and toast, try and be really thankful. And that will become a king's meal. Amen. Because otherwise, no matter how good it tastes, you're going to be ungrateful. You're going to not enjoy it unless you take a moment and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Discontent. How many discontent Christians are there? Too many. By giving thanks continually, we remind ourselves just how much we already have. Before we focus on the blessings rather than the wants. And you know what happens? We get happy. When we start thanking God for the things we usually take for granted, our whole view changes. We realize that we could not even exist without his gift of breath and life. You know, without thankfulness, we're like babies. Thankfulness will make us mature. We don't learn to be thankful. Sorry, we are, we are to learn to be thankful not only for the things that we like, listen to this, but for the circumstances we don't like. You know, when you start to see that God's just good to you, even at the times when it seems like he's not, it makes the time much better. <clears throat> you grow up. You just do things because it's right to do, whether it's enjoyable or not. You enjoy it because it's right. And that's a mature person. When you have children, they don't want to wash the wear. When you have children, they don't want to clean up after themselves. But there comes a time where they grow up, hopefully, I'm looking, hopefully they grow up and they go, I get joy to clean it up because it pleases my mom. Amen. And I, 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 I get joy out of serving others because it pleases my father. Are you with me? It's a step of maturity that says, I don't want to be immature anymore. I don't want to constantly put my thumb in my mouth and constantly gripe and complain. No, I just want to be thankful. And it makes us mature. We thank him for everything. By the way, don't, don't sit there and go, well, I can't thank him for the bad. Really? You can't? Do you know, everything comes from the hand of God. Both good, Job says, and the what? And the evil. Shall we not receive both? And he stopped his wife. He stopped his wife from blaming God. And he said, nope, shall we not receive both good and evil? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. It'll keep us far away from God. If, if we don't get thankfulness, We'll 
the Bible will be dry, church will be long, like some of you are thinking right now. You know, the old town Christians, and I, I, just, just 500 miles from here, Scotland, the meetings in Scotland, 250 years ago, the meetings in Scotland, they started at 9 a.m. in the morning, they didn't finish until 5 in the evening. They got together for preaching. And they, they, they came for miles, and it, and that went on for 200 years after the Reformation broke out. They couldn't get enough preaching. Now you find people after 15 minutes going, when will he ever shut up? You know why that is? Preaching hadn't gotten any better. <laughs> it's just, you're not thankful. You know, when you come into church, you ought to go, ah, I made it. Ooh, I made it. Ooh, praise God. I'm glad I'm here. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for this preacher. I'm thankful for the Bible. And you know what? Church gets sweet coming in like that. Because otherwise you won't be close to God. You know, I got to say this. You can grieve and still be thankful. It's okay to be sad and grateful. That's natural. That's normal. That's why Hebrews 13, 15 says, let's offer the sacrifice of our praise. It'll cost you everything sometimes to say, thank you, Lord, but I thank you. That pleases him. Because if you don't learn thankfulness, if you don't get into the habit of just being thankful, you're going to find obedience hard. It'll just nearly kill you to obey God. Obedience springs easiest from a grateful heart. When was the last time you were grateful to your parents just for letting you live? Come on, nod your head. You realize my parents should have took me out and buried me in the back garden. Amen. I caused them so many problems. When was the last time you hugged them and says, I love you just because you're my dad? That revolution, can I be honest with you? I don't know if my dad will ever hear me preach. He's heard me come, heard me preach a couple of times, but whether he ever hears me, well, I have to give the testimony. One of the greatest days, freeing days and most wholesome days of my life is when I forgave my dad and I told my dad for the first time in about Seven years, I loved him, and I meant it. And I thanked him for being my dad. Now, he had not changed. He had not gotten back with my mother. He had hurt me and my family through all of the things. There was all kinds. But I loved him, and I was thankful for him, and it changed my life. Whether it ever changed him, I don't know, but it changed my life. Are you with me? better do that. I don't care who has hurt you. I don't care what past you carry. Be thankful and you'll be whole. They may not get it. When was the last time you were grateful to your wife or husband just for loving you? When was the last time? Wrote them a note saying, love you, I 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 love you. Well, he never writes me back. Well, he's stupid. But you're whole. Amen. When was the last time you thanked your pastor? Sorry, I have to say this. For faithfully feeding you the words of life, whether you liked it or not, and admonishing and pushing you and pulling you and loving you and kicking you. When was the last time you said, thank you? Now, I'm not asking for your thanks. Actually, I am. Not that I need it, but you do. I want you to understand. You need to be thankful. Amen. There are people in key in my life that I still keep in contact with that I say thank you 
for being my Sunday school teacher when I got saved. Thank you for giving me the gospel. Thank you. I wish my pastor was still alive because Jack Humbert, I'd phone him up and he'd say, who is this, Craig? Are you still saved? (laughs) It was a great joke. I'm just grateful. Now, I'm not perfectly grateful. Don't get the idea. I'm just walking around. I'm just grateful for everything. Not at all, man. I got my problems. But it, it changed my life when I started looking at people. And I said, I got to be grateful. Got to thank. When was the last time you thanked your older brother for watching out for you and watching over you? Today. Amen. <laughs> when was the last time you just thanked God for saving your wretched soul? See, that list should just go on and on and on. What I... I there's got to be some other, something else I can thank you for. There's got to be somebody I can thank. There's got to be somebody I can, can just, just appreciate because I want to be whole. I don't want to just be saved. Do you want to be whole? Start looking around and thank God for everything and both good and bad in your life. Start being thankful. It is the key. Amen? Next week we'll learn about where the nine are. Father, bless the thoughts that we had tonight from your word. This man went away, not just healed, but whole. Maybe tonight we've been, we got a lot of us that have been saved, but we have not, our hearts have not been whole. We carry the past, we carry the scars, we carry the memories, we carry the pain, we carry the bitterness, we carry the heartache. We see the world as wrong and hurtful and and against us, and we see everything wrong. And we never enjoy. We never enjoy you. Simply because we never came back to you and started saying thank you. What a simple thing to do. Don't let anybody in this room forget to thank you every day. Whether it's at a meal where we sit down and we just have bread. Whether it's with our family or whether it's with other brothers, sisters. Whether we're at work with some of the most impossible people to work with. May we learn to be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.